Hello, and welcome to She Dynasty. I'm Valerie Moisel, and these are the women who rule. Welcome back to She Dynasty. Today, I am going to be interviewing Jen Hollingsworth, and Jen is the Chief Operating Officer of Lionsgate Motion Picture Group. Lionsgate is a global content leader whose original and groundbreaking films, television series, and digital products reach audiences around the world. Hi, Jen. Welcome to She Dynasty. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So I haven't done too many of these interviews through uh, Zoom, which we're doing right now. Uh, When I started the podcast, you know, I was doing them all in person. And, you know, I miss that because I used to sit with people here in my dining room at my home and we'd have this kind of, you know, intimate talk. And I guess this is the next best thing. How are you doing with the pandemic? I, you know, I found, I found some, uh, some strength in myself through this in that I'm really good at, I think, managing through things like this. I've just become very matter of fact and uh, get done what needs to get done. And I, I did uh, start running outside a lot more because my gym closed as everyone else's did. And in running outside, I started listening to a lot of podcasts and those podcasts have been so informative and helpful for me and really expanded some areas of me that I thought maybe weren't as strong. So I found a lot of, I found a lot of strength in this for, for me. Awesome. Is there one podcast in particular that you love that you want to mention? I, I listen to a lot of Tim Ferriss. Love it. I think he interviews some amazing people that have insights that I find invaluable. Awesome. Well, today you're going to pass on some of your insights to people who are listening. So I'm super excited. So um, before we get started, we're going to talk a lot about your journey of how you got to where you are today, just because you know, I think it's important for everyone listening to understand that it's a lot of hard, hard work that gets um, all these incredible women on Chi Dynasty to where they are today. But as everyone knows, you're the chief operating officer at Lionsgate. And some people might not know what that even means. And so, you know, I want to break it down for those listening who are starting out in their careers. What does it mean to be a chief operating officer, number one? And then what does it mean to be that at your company? So a chief operating officer, um, and first I'm the chief operating officer of the motion picture group. Mm-hmm. So what that really means is that I really have three areas of focus in my, in my work. One is really helping set the overarching strategy for motion picture group. And that goes, that's down to how we set up our slates of content, how we distribute that content, what that means financially and how that looks and rolls up into our company for the overall projection of, you know, what we report and how it moves our stock price and really, you know, setting that strategy and then finding ways to measure our success and holding teams and people accountable uh, to reaching those goals that we're setting for ourselves. So that's, that's sort of part one. And that's a huge, huge part of the job, you know, because it does involve uh, hitting targets, managing risk. Another huge piece, and this is where my passion really lies is managing the organization from a culture perspective. Yeah. And that's, that is supporting learning and development for people, help, helping them realize that the work they do ties to the overall vision of, the, of what we're doing in Motion Picture Group and making them feel like their work is valuable. And, and we make decisions based on what they do. So tying those things together is so important for people to feel good 
at work and, and it just makes us look better as leaders, frankly. So we, it's like a win-win and, um, and we, we really try to focus on a lot of innovative ways to have people work together and collaborate and across all title levels, across all verticals within our motion picture group and disciplines so that people get to meet other people, learn from other people and put their best thinking into solving a problem. So we are working really hard toward that more agile sort of tech, you know, that tech way to solve problems, which is not common for us in motion picture. So we're really working toward um, doing that. And we think that helps make the organization feel, you know, feel a lot more connected. Right. I think the last piece of that is, is under my purview is um, really leaning into data more heavily. I think people talk about big data, what that means. There's so much data in the world. It's not helpful if you don't synthesize it down into helping you make decisions. So that is something we're really focusing on uh, moving forward is how do we use data and signals to better set up our business, manage, manage moving forward in this ever-changing, crazy world we're living in right now to help pivot our strategy when needed. Wow. It sounds like your job is a perfect blend between kind of the business side of things and kind of, you know, when you deal with the kind of emotional part of how people feel at work, like there's a really nice balance there in those two things. Is there one side of it that um, comes more naturally to you or the other side that's more of a challenge or, or are they equal? I think, I think the people part comes naturally because I just really care about people. I, you know, I didn't even, when I set out on my journey and went back to business school and I was just on the, on the journey of being an executive business minded strategic and that stuff is all really fun and definitely feeds me and feeds my energy. But what I found along the way is the most important part of doing all of that work is understanding people, understanding their motivations, understanding um, not only motivations so you can maybe influence a little bit, but motivations so you can actually help them feel good about what they're doing or manage them a little bit differently. So when you see people kind of fading away, you're like, why is that person fading away? They may be overwhelmed. They may be not engaged with the work. And they, so trying to solve those problems, I realize if you can get that right, it just supports all of the other business things you're doing and makes that a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've learned in my career. You know, as you know, I run an ad agency and you know, you're, you're as good as your team. If they feel good, then things are good. If they don't feel good, got problems. So Absolutely. I really understand and appreciate that. That's so wonderful that you get to kind of touch on both sides of that, you know, being obviously, as you know, being a COO means different things at different companies, right? And some people are just confined to just dealing with the business side of things. And then they have other people, you know, more focused on the HR side of things. So I think it's wonderful that you get to kind of touch both sides of that and the business. I totally agree. It's, it's a very unique, I think my role is very unique as a COO of motion picture. And I think that has a lot to do with uh, my boss and what he's, you know, basically empowered me to do and what I think he sees the strengths in me and it really allowing me to take that and run with it. Awesome. How large is, um, is the organization? How many people? The motion picture group itself is I think close to 500 people. Wow. And yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty good size. It's not, it's not too huge to feel like unwieldy, but it's big enough to feel like, wow, we have, there are a lot of ways we can have some good impact, but we just need to be very coordinated and, and intentional. Awesome. All right. So now we're going to kind of jump back and back in time. And so I understand um, you were born and raised in Indiana. Is that correct? That's right. So tell us a tiny bit about your uh, childhood. 
I had very young parents. I think that's that to me, when I look back, I can't even imagine how my parents managed to have uh, two kids. My mom, my mom had, you know, had me when she was 19, had my sister when she was 18. And I think of that being a 19 year old mom with two kids that are less than a year apart. I, I don't even know what I would have done with myself. I have no idea. I was a mess at age 19. So, but my mom, uh, my mom did everything she could to give my sister and I at that time, the, all the tools we needed, the morals, the, any teaching she could pass on as a young mom. My dad was, was at work all day, um, earning money for the family. And then my, my brother ended up coming along seven years later, which he felt more like, um, uh, I almost feel like I mothered him a little bit just because we are so, so different in age. But I had, I have nothing but great memories of my childhood. I think my parents were very supportive of education and sports, especially. So I started in sports when I was five. Right. And, and that really like gymnastics and soccer and softball and all these, and it just kept going and going. And I think that provided a great foundation for me for teamwork, collaboration, um, disappointment, (laughs) because you don't know, you don't always win. And uh, it, it kind of instilled in me a sense of discipline to just get better as an individual and then as a part of a team. So I, I have I have very fond memories of growing up. I love it. I, I tend to see a lot of patterns in women, uh, successful women, and sports always comes up and all the, the lessons that are learned and how they carry it forward to business. And, you know, you, you kind of are told that when you're doing it as a child, but you don't really believe it, but then somehow you appreciate it when you become you know, when you're in business and you're in it and you kind of think of those early lessons and how they apply, it really, that foundation really makes a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're going through it, you don't know, you don't understand you're a little kid, but oh. yeah, I look back and like, Oh, I think that makes sense. I'm tying these two things together. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I love to ask. So when you were a kid, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I actually, I think the first time I realized or had a, a thought of a profession was really in high school. I think I was 15. I wanted to be a brain surgeon. Me too. Really? <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where it came from, but I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. I have, a, I have a hypothesis on that. I think it has something to do with like being like extremely like motivated and ambitious. And it's like, for some reason you're taught, it's like one of the most ambitious things you can do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Um, that's hilarious because for me, I remember being a really ambitious kid also. And and asking questions like, well, what jobs pay a lot of money? And like brain surgeon was like at the top of the Absolutely. list, right? Absolutely. You know, it's funny too, the, the patterns you're talking about. I, you know, I when I think back, I always wanted to do the thing that was I wasn't necessarily supposed to do as a, as a young woman. Like you're not supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to be able to do this or math or anything like that, or, you know, taking the hardest foreign language. I just thought I should do the hardest thing. Yes, and that's right. The same thing. That's yep. that's exactly right. It was the most ambitious. It was the hardest thing. It was the thing that paid the most money. I was like, I want that. I want to be at the top, right? I want to be at the top. So what was your first um, spark then um, about being into, you know, going into the in- entertainment industry? Like what, what age? When did that happen? I was, uh, I was just, I was in the middle of graduate school at Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I was in, I was a, my second year, beginning my second year when 9-11 happened and the full-time job, job interviews for Michigan started a week later 
Mm-hmm. Many of the companies canceled and the, you know, and, and for me being in school at that time was um, so, I think it was so impactful to me surrounded by a ton of friends who were impacted in all different ways because of 9-11. I think for me, it gave me a lot of perspective in thinking about at that moment in my life, what was I doing? And I think it's the first time I really thought about it. I just kind of glided through life, taking the hardest road probably I could and trying to figure out the hardest thing I could do. And, and that would lead me to the next thing, but it didn't feel really intentional. Like this is what I want to do. It was more what other people thought I should do or what I thought I should do based on the way I was brought up and what I was told the, the sort of the sequence of life is. So I really thought about what I was doing and I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with the, the career choices I was considering coming out of school. Well, was, you graduated, your degree out of um, Indiana University was in finance, right? That's right. So that's what right. did you think, what did you think you wanted to do at that point when you were graduating? Like, what was the, the dream at that point? I had no idea. I really didn't. I, I, I knew I wanted a business job and that was, so Indiana was, you know, I went into, I went to Ford Motor Company uh, after that. And um, but my specific, when I was thinking about entertainment really came out of Michigan when I was right. getting MBA. Right. And I just think that even from Indiana to Ford, it felt obvious to me in a way. Uh, it felt like, well, I'm going to try this. Seems really interesting and, you know, very, very male dominated, which I didn't really think about until I was there. <laughs> that became very clear, but it was, it was great operational foundation for me in, in teaching me how, how it all kind of works together, operations and business and how those things complement each other. Right. But, but in Michigan specifically, I, I wanted a career change and I kept finding myself going to the obvious jobs like investment banking. And then I was like consulting or I didn't want any of those things, but I kept thinking I was supposed to. Was it because it was missing um, kind of the, the creative side of things? Like what was missing for you with, about those jobs? Like what was not fulfilling about it? I think it was that, that leadership personal thing mm-hmm. that it just felt very transactional. Right. And there was no connective tissue for me and, mm-hmm. and what my softer skills are. So I just, I don't know. I, I kept thinking about what's the most important to me and, to be honest, it came, what became to be most important was when do I feel my best? I feel my best when it's sunny and warm and I can go outside and be energized and, you know, and, and that I have uh, some role that feels fulfilling to me. And so putting all these things together, geography became a very important part of, of my next, my next thing. Right. So I decided I'm going to, I'm really going to think about what I want to do and, it became, I'm moving to LA and, and entertainment industry is in LA and I'm going to see what I can do there. And, and your first job in LA, um, you were making $12 an hour as an intern, right? I was yeah. Post-grad school. That's very hard. It's very hard to swallow. It was a very hard decision to make to do that. Post-grad school. It's so crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, it was so crazy when I moved here, I had, I was making $12 an hour. Mm -hmm. I had zero savings a ton of school debt, a ton of credit card debt. I had no idea how I was going to afford living here. I had no friends here. I didn't know the city. I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I rented a room in a house and the, the, the room that was obviously not furnished, but I put crates in the room that I could put my clothes in. I piled blankets on the floor for a bed 
I had no desk or anything. So I sat on the floor mostly. And I remember I would, I would come home every night and I had a single like Tupperware plastic bowl and a plastic fork. And I would have the same dinner with that same bowl and fork every single night. And it was usually lettuce with a can of tuna and some mustard. (laughs) And, and I did that every single night for so long. And, you know, I, and as much as I was trying to be strong, the first month in LA was, I, I mean, I really did. I cried myself to sleep every night. Like what I, I just was, I felt lonely. I felt like, I, how do I do this? How do I manage this? How am I going to afford this? How, all these things were spinning. And I think, you know, I, I think we all get to a point. We know when we're in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we have two choices. Yeah. One is we retrench and go back to a life that we were obviously not happy with. Or you dig in and you figure it out and you find that resiliency and you, you make it work. And so I took that latter choice. Yeah. Listen, another pattern I see it's, you know, it's really pushing yourself uh, to be uncomfortable, to be able to rise up. And, you know, I just want to take a moment for everyone who's listening, who's starting out in their career right now. And probably a lot of people experiencing kind of what you did back then, you know, maybe in a apartment that's not that great, you know, eating top ramen because they, you know, it's hard to pay the bills and like, look at you now. And it's just, you know, you, you, you probably worked your ass off to get to where you are today, which is, you know, so amazing. And, you know, that's the, like the spark and the inspiration that I want people to hear about, like it is possible and, you know, you've accomplished so much. So like kudos to you for that. I love, love to, to hear the story. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So you talk about having a lot of anxiety, um, you know, obviously a new environment, um, you know, being really brave to just take it head on. You know, what did you do to kind of overcome some of that anxiety? What got you through it? What gave you the bravery to move forward? What was that? I think it goes back to a little bit of that, that competitive, never want to fail thing that I got in sports where I really love achieving and I love the feeling of winning knowing that that doesn't always happen, but I kind of took myself back to that and thought about the fact that I, I am smart. I am resilient. I am, I know I can do this. I think often we let ourselves put that stuff aside and just, and just, we become overwhelmed with, with um, any, any of our weaknesses or any feelings of, that well, that were less than someone else. So I just started focusing on me like, okay, I got this. What do I need to do? And you kind of break it down. And for me, it was diving into my work, proving that I can do this networking with a ton of people that can help me get to where I want to go. And then just believing that I can and, and proving that to myself and to to everyone else. So, so I could create my own path. Yeah. How, how important is having, um, making people feel your confidence around you to get to the next step. Talk about that a little bit. I think it is the most critical thing. And I think that is something that women struggle with a bit because the rooms we're in tell us that we're not supposed to talk. And that when we do talk, it's not as important as what they're saying or the rest of the room is saying, because the room looks different than, than us. And so having a strong voice where you have meaningful things to say doesn't have to be perfectly articulate. A lot of voices I hear in rooms are not perfectly articulate. And so the, the less focus on the perfection and more just on what you're saying, saying it with some conviction and confidence means 
absolutely everything when people are perceiving you for the first time or the first few times yeah. and really having them uh, look at you in, 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 a, in a way that you're like, wow, that person, that person has a lot of good stuff to say and is important. Yeah. I think it's really important when you're in a leadership position, you know, I know, for example, in my company, you know, if we go into a big pitch and we don't win, you know, at the end of the pitch, you know, I have to stand up and talk to everybody. And if I crumble, they crumble. If I'm confident and say, Hey guys, it's okay. We got this. We're going to move on to the next time. You know, it's whatever you put out that people will believe. And so that confidence is like super, super important. Even if you, you might not totally, totally feel it hundred percent inside, but when you start to kind of put it out there, it kind of manifests and becomes real and people believe it. And then you start believing in yourself and it becomes kind of the cycle. Absolutely. Strength in public. You can crumble in private. If you, if you, if you need your moment to just be weak, you can do it alone and you can collapse a little bit and it gives you that sort of, you're like, okay, that's done moving on. And then you go back and you're strong in public again. (laughs) So I understand. um, I was actually super excited to read that you used to play professional tackle football. I did. I didn't even know that that was a thing for women. Where, what, how, tell us. So when I, uh, when I first moved to California, in addition to uh, starting in a new industry and a new job, which was somewhat terrifying, but really invigorating, I did a little research and found that there was a professional football team, women's football team starting in Southern California, and they were having tryouts a few months after I was, I moved here. I was so excited because I had loved football since I was young, loved watching it. I would play tackle football with my guy friends. So I always loved the sport and I was so bummed that women could never play it professionally, but then I got the opportunity. And while it was a very young league, it was, um, it was one of the most physically challenging things for me, even as an athlete, uh, I played offense, defense, and special teams. So I played all the time. I was constantly on the field. So I was a receiver, a strong safety. So very exhausting, so fulfilling and rewarding, the ultimate teamwork sport. And I would get my butt kicked every game. So um, I also understand that you found yourself before you ended up where you are now at Sony, right? Obviously a huge company. Tell us about um, your time there. Sony was, uh, was, I think, fun for me because it was part one of my entertainment experience. Mm -hmm. When I got out of my internship, I interviewed for a job, a a full-time job at Sony and got that job as a, you know, as a person who was greenlighting movies for Screen Gems. And that, when I look back, was such a cool job for a first job at a studio. Yeah, sounds great. I, I completely enjoyed it. I dove into every part of it. I got to work with a really great team of people. I read a lot of legal contracts so I could teach myself all the jargon, how the stuff works from an economic perspective. And I had a lot of growth in that role. I think I quickly found out that it's difficult for the pace that I wanted to learn. It was really difficult for me to get that exposure and the, all of the volume of work that I wanted to get. Mm -hmm. So I thought probably I would say 14, 14 months in, I was feeling that need to, to do something else. Right. And then I understand that you met someone in Sony's gym who became a mentor and a friend and somebody who really had a big impact on your life. And this is something I always like to talk about on She Dynasty because there are so many women, including myself, who talk about 
a moment, a person, a thing that happened that just completely shifts everything for them. And I just want everyone to understand how in an instant things can change when somebody inspires you or says something or comes into your life and makes you see things in a new way. So talk about that, that person, that moment. Yep. I met my, who would be my mentor at the Sony gym at 6am and that chance encounter just we, we would talk at the gym occasionally. Uh, he worked out with, uh, with a guy that I worked with. He was multiple levels above me at Sony, but that's how I, he, he knew who I was. And we, we started talking. I was so nervous to even try to network with him and ask him because, for because he was levels above you way levels. of. I mean, I was, I was, I was an analyst. I was less than two years into a career in entertainment. I barely knew what was going on. I knew, I knew, I only knew my small world. What so, level was he at? He was at one of the top people at Sony. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. So I, I was very intimidated. Um, so I decided one day that we, you know, we broke the ice, we would laugh and talk about things. And I finally decided one day to ask him for coffee. And he said, yes. It's like, of course, let's, let's grab a coffee after a workout, you know, soon. But when we, when we went to have coffee, that's where the most unexpected thing that happened that changed everything, which is he told me his story, told me, you know, all about him for about 20 minutes. And then he asked me a single question. And that was, what do you want? And I was like, in my head, my head spinning, I'm like, okay, what do I want? What do I tell him? Do I, do I, do I tell him what I really want? Or do I, you know, cause I didn't expect to answer that question. I just expected to do a networking kind of, you know, informal coffee. And I think in my worry of overstepping or asking for too much, I just calmed down and I said, okay, I'm just going to tell him what I want. I wasn't even sure exactly, but I did say, I really want to learn more and I want to learn faster. And I think I need to leave the studio to do that. And I think I need to go to a production company. I don't know which one. I don't know much about them, about any of them, but I think that's my next move. And I just don't know how to get there. Right. And he said, send me your resume today. I love it. And I, a month later, um, after several interviews at a production company, I started work at a uh, production company called Mandy Pictures. So it was, it was it, and it changed, it really did change everything from that point on. You know, when I read your pre-interview questionnaire and you wrote, you know, he asked me this simple question, what do you want? And I like stopped and I thought about that and it just like deduced it to the most like simple idea. And I think sometimes people kind of overcomplicate things. And so there was something in the simplicity of that. And so um, a few days later, um, my 17 year old daughter was having like a breakdown because she's trying to figure out colleges and where to go and she wants to do. And I just like thought about what you wrote and I just sat her down. And I was like, I'm going to ask you a really simple question. And that is, what do you want? And I saw her also kind of have this moment of like, oh my God, that question is so simple, but like, she wasn't thinking about it that way. Right. She was kind of making it this much more com complex thing. And I think that's what you were trying to get to is that, you know, when you kind of get back to that really simple core moment of what it is that you really want out of life if you can get there it's really powerful and when I read that I was like oh my god this is such a good like teaching moment so I loved I love that thank you for sharing that of course of course so I, the other thing I want to talk about because this is amazing also is that you were put in front of someone who you were intimidated by just because of obviously they were levels above you at this huge obviously you know amazing company 
And so we can all kind of relate to that, but like having the confidence to, to speak, you know, to speak to him and just be bold and, you know, be yourself got you somewhere. And, you know, this is the thing that I love also when, you know, people come and work at my company, there's nothing I love more than a junior person that is bold and not nervous of me and, you know, has an opinion and can express it like that is super exciting. And I think that that's the thing that people starting at, starting out don't realize is that people in more senior positions are looking for those shining stars, those bright stars, those people that have that spark, that thing that they're, you know, cause those are the ones that, you know, are going to push through. Not that other people can't, but when you have the confidence to kind of just say what you want and be articulate and sound smart, like it really like leaves an effect on people. And it obviously worked for you because, you know, he was impressed with you and forwarded your resume to someone. And next thing you know, your whole career shifts. Right. So I think that it's a, another amazing lesson. And when I was reading your interview, I always look for these lessons and you had so many. So thank you for that as well. Of course. Yeah. So you then um, found an opportunity to interview at Mandate, right? Which was a much smaller company. Did that seem like a weird move to go from such a big company to a small company? Was that like a hard transition? Did you feel like, am I taking a step back? It was probably a bigger position, but tell us about how that thought process went. I, I felt like it was the right move, but again, super scary. I, I left this big studio where I was finally getting myself on track, both career-wise and financially, because I, I was so far behind financially. And then now I'm moving to a basically a startup production company with 30 people and much more risky as far as I was concerned at that time. Right. It just felt right. And at the same time, felt uncertain and scary. And I thought, well, the last time I did this super uncertain, scary thing was when I moved to LA, it was the right thing. And I figured it out. So now I'm going to try it again and get uncomfortable again and do this another time. Because I know I just knew in my gut that I was going to continue to find these like nuggets of development that were going to push me and and help me grow in this industry and, and as an executive. So the job was definitely bigger because a smart company, I had to wear a lot of hats, but I was, I think the beauty of that role was the support team I had and the feeling of that, that company felt like family to me. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing that I was afraid to do or make a mistake on where I didn't think people would pick me up and teach me how to do it right. And say, you know what, you didn't get it right this time, but, but let's like, you're going to get it right next time. So I didn't feel that sense of uh, of being so scared to fail because I was not going to have a safety net. People were definitely invested in us all getting better together because with the success of all of us was the success of the company. Right. So it just felt like a really good, uh, positive energy environment for me. You don't always get that at larger corporations. I think that smaller, that's a lot of the reason some people are attracted to go to smaller companies. I think, you know, you have more room to kind of figure yourself out and, make mistakes and correct them and grow. And in bigger companies, I think there's more politics and, you know, you have to be a little bit more careful about the moves you make. Um, so I think that that's a big reason a lot of people, a lot of women choose smaller companies, you know, there's something really about being a bigger fish in a small pond and getting more responsibility and being able to be heard. And you also talk about, and I think you mentioned this before, but you talk about some of the typical traps that 
women fall into that, you know, I identified with how having a strong voice some sometimes is, you know, feels harsh coming from a woman. Can you talk about that a bit? I do find even, even though I think things have changed a bit from when I first started in this industry, there's still that sort of ingrained perspective about women that women are a little, supposed to be a little softer and have a little bit of a softer approach. And I, I think I do have a little bit of a softer approach, but I also think I have a very way of a, a way of being very direct in terms of how I respond to things and my thoughts on things. I want to collaborate and get to the best solution as a team, but we can't do that unless we're all critically honest with each other. And that sometimes means saying things that sound direct and harsh. Maybe they sound harsh, but it's just being direct. And I just think that 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 directness coming out of a woman's mouth feels more harsh and unexpected and coming out of a man's mouth. It feels like a given, like this is the way it's supposed to be. And it's so hard. It really is hard to overcome that as a woman, mm-hmm. even at my level now, I still even people that have known me forever. They still, they still do it. They don't even know they do it. Probably it's not intentional, but it definitely happens. And it's a learning process for sure. Yeah. You know, I was in a meeting the other day where I had to be very direct with um, someone who was a male and I was passionate about my point and very clear on what I was saying. And afterwards I texted the person because I could tell that they were taken back um, by how direct I was because they're not used to me being that way all the time. And I wrote, and I actually regretted writing this, but I wrote, I'm sorry, I was such a bitch. And I, and then I was like, why did I just write that? Why did I write that? Right. And so I had that moment of like, shit, I I just like self, it was like this weird self-fulfilling like thing where what you're talking about, I was doing it to myself, you know? And I was like, no, I was confident. I knew what I was talking about. I knew what I wanted and I articulated it clearly. And, you know, I was bold about it, but then I felt like I had to like make excuses for my tone. And I know for a fact that if I was a man, that would never, never have been the issue. So when I read that, I was like, this happens to me all the time. And I also need to stop doing that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually sometimes preemptively apologize before I say something like, why am I doing that? Like, I'm sorry, this is going to sound harsh, but then I say something, why don't I just say it? I, I agree with you. I think we, we constantly think of, of ways that we can soften a blow that we may be bringing. And, and it just, it's, I just feel like we shouldn't have to think that way. All right. Let's both make a pack that we're going to work on that. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so from mandate, um, you worked your way up the ranks, um, and then, um, ended up at Lionsgate. And, um, I understand that you hit a tremendous hardship, a snag in your life. You lost your sister. Um, so tell us a little bit about that and the effect that had on your, your life and your career. Yeah. So my sister, about 11 years ago, um, I got the, the phone call that I think I would never expect to get. I'm not sure that anyone can ever prepare themselves for, for that call, but that my sister took her own life. And I think for me, you know, my first thing was, of course I crumble and I couldn't even, I was like paralyzed. I couldn't do anything. I just sat there. And a little bit of that, what I talked about earlier, where managing through crisis a little bit, (laughs) I was sitting there and crying for eight hours. I finally, I called my mom, I called my brother and I finally thought to myself, okay, this is not productive. This is not productive. This is not helping me. I'm just crying. 
I'm like, what do I need to do? <laughs> so I get into this mode of solving problems. And my mom, I think, you know, she losing a daughter. I mean, I can't even imagine what that feels like, but I knew she would want to be a, a part of all of this sort of discovery and, and, you know, things that we had to do because my sister lived in London. So I called my mom and I said, I'm going to book a flight to come see you and I'm going to pick you up. And then we're going to fly to London together and we're going to go take care of everything. And she, so I did that and we went together and we were there for six days. I think we slept three hours a night at the most. And for me personally, I didn't know how I was going to feel walking into my sister's flat and not, you know, and seeing her stuff there would not her there. And I was angry with her for doing what she did and right. leaving us all to try to figure this out. And I was frustrated with how, like, how could this happen? And there were so many things that were going through my head. And I think it's that whole grieving process that we, that we all read about and that we hear about. But I think for me, I was, I was intentionally like looking for closure. Like I need closure. I need to understand why this happened and I need closure and I move on. I think instead I, thankfully I found something much more beautiful and in going through, through her stuff and saving all these things I need to save, I sort of put together this amazing story of her and all the time that she, her and I hadn't lived in the same city. And through those stories of her, whether it was her, um, you know, how she was feeling about her career or medical story or all these stories about her, I actually found so much empathy for what she was going through and for the pain that she was feeling as, um, as someone who's a perfectionist, always striving, always striving, always putting pressure on herself. And I thought, you know, it's, it was her decision. I felt at the end that it was more painful for her to be alive and she couldn't handle it anymore. And she made a decision. And I can't, I, I, I just, I sort of came to that conclusion that like, that was her decision. And I felt good enough to know that it wasn't impulsive. It was very thoughtful and she decided mm -hmm. and far be it for me to, to, to wish you, you know, to say like, you no, know, darn you for making me feel this bad because it wasn't about me at that point. So I really found like kind of a beautiful life and beautiful, a, a beauty and tragedy. And I was able to find not closure, but understanding sure. of her and her life. And I think it also, for me, made me go back to my own life, thinking differently about how I'm going to live and my priorities and the people I love and how I want to stay close to them. So yeah. it was, it, it was something I never wanted to go through, but sort of for, forced to go through and and I, I found some good in it. Well, thank you so much for your honesty. I know that's not easy to share, but you know, I think, you know, you being so forthcoming and just talking about it is probably really helpful for a lot of people who are going to be listening to this. So very, very appreciated. Um, one question I have, did, were there, were, were part of the reason that you were, had anger in the beginning, was it because you didn't expect it or you didn't, um, were there no warning signs or was it something different? To me, there, to me, there were no warning signs. I knew she was, I knew she was, she, I knew she's always been a perfectionist and always put herself under a lot of pressure to, to achieve, but I didn't, to, to me, I think I was so angry because I don't understand that. I don't understand taking, you know, suicide. I, I just, it's something that I just don't understand, but just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen or that other people don't feel the need to do it. And so I just, 
I was angry that she did this. I, to me, it was, it was almost selfish. I was angry that she did this without thinking of the people left behind that have to deal with the feelings of, of losing her. Mm -hmm. I was mad at her for that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so common. I really do. I think that's common for, for people um, to feel. But I do, then I think we all come, we all, or many of us maybe come around to say, it's really not about us. It, it really, it was about my sister. It wasn't about me. Understood. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit and kind of go back to um, just talking about you, your personal journey. So I understand, you know, there's, there's a through line that I see here in your story of constantly figuring out how to go after what you want without waiting for someone else to give you permission or recognition to do that. Um, talk about how you've gotten the confidence to be able to manifest that, make that happen. It took me much longer than I, I wanted to get the confidence. And I, I continue, I mentor, I mentor a lot of people, especially women now. And the one thing I say all the time is I, it took me forever to find my voice way longer than I am such an out outgoing loud person. Typically for me to not be able to find my voice, it was, I didn't understand how that could be possible, but there was this inferiority that I felt. And I, what I had to do was continue to look inward and say, okay, why am I feeling this way? What do I need to do to not feel this way? And I think part of why I was feeling that way is because when you look around rooms that you're in and you have a point of view and you have something to say immediately, at least for me, I start comparing myself to the knowledge that everyone else has and the fact that I don't have that knowledge. And so it makes me feel bad that I don't know everything that that person knows. And I started breaking it down and I was like, well, I've been in this industry for five years. How could I possibly know as much as this person who's been here 30 years? Right. And, and I wasn't giving myself a break, but I was saying, okay, I'm going to go learn. I'm going to go teach myself all those things that I think I should know to make myself feel better. But on that journey, I'm going to try to get that confidence along the way to say, you know what, I, I may not know everything, but if I don't ever speak or, or um, ask questions, I'm not going to learn anymore. So it's this constant like learning about things that you're curious about, learning about yourself, mm -hmm. understanding what makes you feel bad and why, and then fixing it. Totally. That's so hard. I think that's really so hard to do because we, our first thing to go to is, is us feeling weak and bad and never, not then saying, well, it's, it's, it's easier to not say anything than to say something and feel criticized or feel like it wasn't the right thing. There was this um, quick saying I heard uh, on a podcast actually, and it was easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. Mm -hmm. So when you make those hard choices off the, like right off the bat, it makes things, it sort of paves the way for, for much, a much easier life because you're making those decisions much earlier on. So that to me is impactful. Yep. I can relate to that. I mean, I think being oftentimes I find myself in rooms with either colleagues or clients or other people that know things that I don't know. And you have two choices at that moment. You can either kind of feel bad about yourself, or as you said, go out and learn about it and try to become as much of an expert on it as you can. So the next time in your, you're in a meeting, you can, you know, talk to it and it comes with time. You know, yeah. I think that's the biggest lesson is a lot of this confidence for women only comes with time. I think, I mean, obviously you can be born a confident person, but experience amplifies confidence. 
you know, it, it, it takes confidence to another level. Cause you know what you're talking about. You've lived it, you've done it. You have the, the credibility to say it versus someone who's been in the business for, you know, three months and becomes an expert on something. You're not always credible. So for a lot of the younger women listening, it's just about just, you got to be patient. You got to like get the experience, you know? So I think that's really important. To yeah, I totally agree. Yep. Awesome. All right. So I think we're coming to the end of our interview, which I have loved so much. So I'm going to ask you what I call my rapid fire questions. So try to answer them in just like a sentence or two. Okay. Jen, what does success mean to you? Success means to me getting better every single day in um, your career, in your personal life with your family, your spouse, your friends, your, your partner, whoever that is. And physically getting better. I think the more we feel good about our lives in total, the more I think successful and rich our lives feel. And the ability for us to get to ultimate fulfillment and purpose uh, is I think enabled even more by feeling just really good that we're firing all cylinders in every part of our lives. So I always say, I, I just wanna be better than yesterday. Thank you. What keeps you up at night? The the feeling that I'm letting people down. I am a person that takes on a ton and I always want to do everything and I don't want to say no. And what that means is there are things that fall. And that is, that's often, you know, that could be relationship with my spouse. It could be a relationship with my mom. It could be the, the work I'm doing. It could be I'm missing workouts. It could be. So I just feel stressed out when I'm letting people down. So I'm try, I always try to find the balance, but it's very hard. And I'm sure everyone can relate to this. But it, that, that's the thing that stresses me out and keeps me up the most, believe it or not. Another pattern that I see with the woman I interview. Yeah. If you could completely switch careers out of the entertainment industry, what would you do? You know, I actually almost did this, but I, uh, I, I love animals. So I thought I, and because I wanted to be a brain surgeon originally when I was in high school, I thought it would be really amazing to be a veterinarian. Love it. I think you've answered this already, but I'm going to ask again, simply, what is the biggest challenge facing women today in business? I think it's the, the stereotypes and biases that have been created over time, over decades and decades. And something I say, I'll try to keep this short, but something I say to, to women that, that struggle with this is think about the idea that men were the first ones in the workforce and only were working with men. Those patterns established over years and years and years. And when you start inserting, inserting one woman at a time, there's no change because that they're just, they're just like, well, we keep, up, keep operating the same way. And if, what if it were flipped? What if women were the first ones in the workforce? What would that look like? Right. Patterns would be just the opposite, but I, I don't know that for certain, but trying to understand that and always as a woman pushing our agenda forward in ways that we just want equality and be treated the same is, uh, I think that's important for all women to do to, to make any change. Beautiful. What is your biggest strength and your greatest weakness? My, my biggest strength, I've said this a couple of times, is definitely managing through crisis and compartmentalizing. I become very tactical in what needs to be done, how it needs to be done, why it needs to be done, staying on those deadlines, getting through it. Mm-hmm. And again, as we said, when, we're, when I'm done, I collapse. Collapse in private. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so the, the def- that's definitely one of my strengths. Uh, weakness, I would say, and this is, this repeats itself. I, I have gotten better. 
but I try to, I think I try too much to control things that are completely out of my control. And uh, first, the first part, hard part about that for me is understanding that I can't control everything. <laughs> and the second part is if I, if I decide, okay, I can't, I can't control that. Now I need to be okay with it and live with it. Very hard for me mm-hmm. because I don't like it. So that, that is one of the things I continue to work on and try to let go of because I want to make everything I can control the best and the most amazing that it can be. And the other stuff just has to fall away. Got it. And what, if there was one skill set that you wish you had, it could be anything from, you know, just something that you're not great at, whether it is like for me, like, I wish I was better at math. What would be one skill set that you wish you could be better at? I think I still wish I was better at, you know, I, I actually just, just was listening to a podcast yesterday. and was realizing, I think I'm not good at this is debate. Mm. I think I get a little too emotional depending on who I'm debating with. Mm-hmm. And I don't always focus on the meaningful points and how to support my arguments. And they always say you win an argument by breaking down your, your yeah. opponent strategy and the way they're coming up at it. So I'm yeah. not great at that. I would, I would love to be better at that. Perfect. And that brings me to my last question. What is your actionable advice for those listening? This one piece of advice that you want to pull forward. Yeah. I think that we, I would say we should focus on being always being the best people that we can be the best version of ourselves. That can mean so many different things to different people. But as you think about yourself, what does that mean to be the best version of you and continue to evolve that and get better and better, and then bring that person to into the world every single day without fail. We will all fail at that, but try to bring that because I think if we're not the best person, people that we are, and, and bringing that every day, then we can't, um, we can't, we don't show up right. And we don't feel good about who we are. So um, that, that to me is the, I think the probably the best advice that I can give. And I, I fail at it regularly, but then I have to check myself and I, I find that the best version of myself and I bring it the next day. Awesome. Well, I think that is all I have for you today. Um, Jen, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much it means to me that you have taken the time to do this. I can't tell you how much what you've said has resonated with me personally. You speak, you give me chills just because there's so many things that just, um, just speak to me. And I'm sure so many people that are listening, I know you're so busy. So it's, it's really meaningful that you take the time to do this and give back and hopefully, you know, teach some, some other people, some, some new ideas and thoughts about how to, to get to where their dreams are. So I love it. And I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you Valerie for having me. This really is one of the most fulfilling things that I do is mentor when I can pass along any advice that I've learned, if it resonates with people and they can embrace it and learn from it and carry it forward. That is amazing. If it doesn't resonate, that's okay too. But I I really find a lot of fulfillment and, and purpose for me in this work. So thanks for having me. 